For people who grew up with abuse and neglect, there are some common patterns of relationship styles, attachment styles specifically. And attachment styles are something we'll talk about more in the future here. But it's a theory that related to the way that we are raised, we end up with sort of one or another styles of attaching to other people, kind of based on how it was with our parents. And so some people have what's called an avoidant attachment style, and some people have something more like an anxious or fearful style. And what you can end up with as a dynamic in a relationship is one person who's always shutting down and pulling back, and one who's always sort of chasing after them. And it's this dynamic that keeps people kind of in a tug of war all the time. It's often not a very happy dynamic, but it's common and it tends to last a long time because the person who's anxious is afraid to leave relationships and the one who's avoidant would usually be rejected by people who weren't anxious, by people who had sort of a healthy attachment style. They wouldn't bother with, with avoidant people because avoidant people don't give a lot. They will often um, not give presents for birthdays. They don't pick up the cue that they need to say something loving or supportive sometimes. They will disappear for days at a time because they feel overwhelmed by the contact. They're not necessarily bad people, but they can be very difficult as partners. Now, the good news is, is that avoidant and anxious people can come together. They can meet in the middle and it can be a better relationship than what you have right now. But sometimes the attachment style combined with who the people are and what they're made of, is just not a good deal. So I have a I have a letter today from someone I will call Vanessa, and she has been in a relationship with an avoidant person, and she feels really guilty. And I, I wanna read the letter, and we'll talk about what she said, and we'll unpack it in a second reading. All right, here we go. Vanessa says, hi, Anna. I believe I have complex PTSD. I've dealt with low self-esteem for as long as I can remember, and I've not had much luck or success in the relationship department. My mother died when I was nine and my father was very inconsistent and almost non-existent in my life. This developed an intense abandonment wound and an incredible sense of fear. I was in an on-again, off-again, long-distance relationship with someone who also has an abandonment wound. He dealt with his issues with avoidance, which was new for me and incredibly scary. When I pulled away, I would state that I was leaving the relationship, even though I didn't want to. That was the only solution that felt safe in the moment. When I broke up with him, she puts quotes around it, he would block me and then I would panic and then go back. This happened several times over three years until he broke up with me almost a year ago. Over the past year, he shared that he loves me and would like to rebuild trust while dating other people and not being exclusive. Throughout our time together, I was very hurt by his lack of effort at times. Wait, we gotta go back and circle that. While dating and not being exclusive, okay. That was bothering me. You know we're coming back to that, okay. Throughout our time together, I was very hurt by his lack of effort at times and he would blame me for the state of our connection and relationship. A few weeks ago, I told him that I couldn't do it. I couldn't be in a space where we were trying to rebuild trust, doing relationship things, while I know that he's dating other women. He got angry, said goodbye, and blocked me. My question is, how do I process the guilt? On the other hand, I know that I didn't receive the effort, support, and attention that I wanted and deserved throughout the relationship. 
On the other hand, I sometimes feel that I caused it. And this is keeping me from moving on at the moment as the guilt I feel is sometimes overbearing. Your advice, please. All right, Vanessa. Uh, thank you so much for this. I think this is a really, really common pattern. And Vanessa, what you describe of having low self-esteem, having your mom die when you were nine, that is quite serious. And your father being inconsistent and almost non-existent in your life. You know, anybody going through that would probably have some, some difficulty forming close relationships with somebody in adulthood. So all of this is normal. You're not crazy. This is really normal stuff. And you developed an intense abandonment wound and a huge sense of fear. Boy, I'll say, fair enough. So then you say, I was in an on-again, off-again, long-distance relationship with someone who also has an abandonment wound. So on-again, off-again, and long-distance relationship, those are things that happen, but when both of them are happening at the same time, it sounds very much like the kind of relationship that really works for avoidant people. They're not too close, and it, they can break up any time and come back together. And often, on-again, off-again is what is the sort of nice way of saying a trauma bond relationship. And that's what I hear going on here, where that every time somebody objects to something, the other one ends it and blocks the other person, blocks them as if they're a menace, as if they're a threat. Now, I just want to say that a lot of times when people break up, they don't block. They block when people become stalkers. And blocking is a really hurtful thing to do. Now, I don't know if there was stalking here, but I sure didn't hear anything about that. It just seemed like you were hurting. I think in a way these are avoidant strategies of your own, even though you're like an anxious avoidant as it's called, like you don't want it to slip away. Your abandonment wound kicks in and it's intolerable. But we've been talking about abandonment wounds lately. And the, the worst thing is that they're really common for us. And so we get this very intense thing called abandonment melange. Pete Walker named it that of a super strong feeling of rage, grief, and panic all at once. It's like this terrible emotional reality that comes down. If you have CPTSD, you may know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not like what other people experience. And it feels like you're going to die. It feels like you've been kicked out of the human race. It's very hard to deal with. So abandonment melange, if you've been through it before, it hangs over you like a threat and you think, I cannot leave this relationship. I can't afford it. And so what often happens is when you feel like leaving, it kicks off abandonment melange so strong, it puts you into a deeply dysregulated or maybe dissociated feeling. Have you ever had that? Where you, you get the feeling that you want to leave and then you find yourself taking extreme measures to end the relationship immediately. You know, packing a suitcase, blocking the person, that kind of thing. That's it. It's over. I'm out the door. And it's very abrupt and it's sort of over the top. All right, that is a dysregulated response. And it is my experience and my theory that a lot of what's happening in that kind of response is, is that the abandonment wound is kicked off even by the thought of leaving. The other person doesn't even have to say they're leaving. You just think to yourself, I don't want to put up with this. And then whoops, you go into that abandonment melange. And the feeling is so intense that you feel like you have to do anything to make it stop. And it can be very deceiving. Like even if it is a bad relationship, even if you do want to get out, the sense of urgency is usually not really accurate perception or the sense of threat, like you need to block somebody. So he eventually did that to you. I don't know. I can't really speak for him about that, but I'll speak for you that a couple times you had done that. 
And he, he may be a very avoidant person. I know what that's like. <laughs> it's hard. And you haven't, you hadn't learned to meet in the middle and, and, and eventually he wasn't going to do that with you. And we'll talk about that. But you ended up kind of pulling that trigger of like, that's it. It's over block. So if you want a relationship with somebody and you're serious about it, I would just say it's so important to control that impulse to go to the extreme shutdown block, because what that is to make a threat that you're ending the relationship when that's not really what you mean is emotional abuse. And so a healthy person isn't going to put up with that. You're not going to end up in a relationship with a healthy person. An unhealthy person might put up with it and it's going to take them down a notch. It's just a bad thing to do to make threats you don't intend to carry out. Um, I totally understand it. And um, yeah, it's, it's what happens when we're dysregulated and dissociated. But I'm here to tell you from experience, once you know the name for that, you can become aware when it's happening. You can say, okay, I'm having that intense feeling. This is abandonment melange that Anna told me about. It's only abandonment melange. This is going to pass and I'm going to use my tools to care for myself until it does. And one of those tools is I'm not going to make any decisions. I'm not going to make any proclamations. I'm not even going to talk to the person I'm upset with right now and feeling abandoned by. So you can, in those moments, use a phrase like, uh, I, I'm having a really intense emotional reaction right now and I don't want to make any decisions or say anything right now. I'm going to take a day to collect myself or an hour or whatever you need. And then I'm going to get back to you. Let's talk about this. You can say that and your options remain open. You haven't overreacted. You can still end the relationship, but you can end it consciously. And I just want to say that if a relationship ever needs to be ended, it can be done slowly and consciously. And the only exception to that is if you're in danger, if the person is being abusive or violent, you just get out of there by any means necessary. But normally just when you're in a conflict situation or somebody's really let you down, you don't have to make a rash decision about it. Sometimes it feels like that's going to make you feel better, but really what it does is it triggers all this guilt in you that you did something wrong and it's vague. I totally get you ending this relationship. I don't think that was a wrong call. It's just that the, the manner that you did it, that it wasn't considered, it was abrupt. You hadn't really worked out the communication around it feels like incomplete. So we'll come back to what to do about that. But I want to talk about this guy's idea. He loves you and he wants to rebuild trust while dating other people. And just right there, I just want to say, no matter how great he is, the fact that he thinks you can do that is just, it's just not very wise. I, I totally agree with you. It's not possible to rebuild trust while dating other people. Those are, those two things are mutually exclusive. If you're going to rebuild trust that you're going to stay together, that's what you're going to do. Now, I, I kind of see where he's coming from. Like, I don't want to commit myself to this. I don't want to have all my eggs in this basket. I would like to give it another chance, but I'm scared to sort of let go of the new things I have going on. So I, I get his motive for that, but I think it's unwise. And I don't think you should say yes to it correctly as you perceive. It would actually just, it would take whatever trust or goodwill there was there and grind it into a pulp and become a very bad memory in your life of what happened with that guy. So I think you can pull back. And in fact, if he loves you, you setting a boundary, yay, the B word, you setting a boundary and just like, yeah, if you're ever not dating anybody and you want to have that conversation, let me know. We can have that conversation and see if that's something we want to pursue. But no thanks. While you're dating other people, I know that's not going to be good for me. 
That's all you have to say. And I'm just saying that a lot of people, if they love you, will change what's going on because they respect what you're saying and on some level they get it. And if there's any sort of confusion or drama around you setting that boundary, forget the guy. I'm telling you, that's not irrational. It's very rational to just say, yeah, um, you know, I might be open to that, but not like this. So I like where you're coming from with that. And so your job is going to be coping with how it feels when you set that boundary. So what happens is guilt, that guilty feeling. It is part of, it's partly, I think, because of your kind of moral confusion about, did I handle this wrong? And the only thing you did wrong, I think, was be emotionally abusive by threatening and shutting him down every time you were hurt because he's avoidant. Now, oh, I'm telling you again, a lot of people would not want to have a relationship with an avoidant person. They are not that person who's always right there for you, honey. I hear you. I'm listening to you. You can call me anytime. They're not that person. They can possibly make a good partner if they'll meet you halfway. They can meet you halfway. They can give you a little more and you can be a little bit more flexible, understanding that they get overwhelmed by a lot of emotion. They need some downtime. But if, if their avoidance is such that they're like, I, you know, I need to never make an, a commitment. I need to never live in the same city. I can't be consistently with you without constantly breaking up. No, no, no. That's more than avoidance. That's just unworkable. It's just unworkable. So I applaud you just because you're having a relationship and you did set a boundary for yourself and yeah, feelings are coming up and they will. This is so much like old voices of your trauma coming up with the way that your mom died when you were little and your dad just really like not being there for you. You got conditioned to figure out how you could put up with being alone and isolated and unsupported and not make a big fuss about it. So don't be that girl. Don't be that girl. <laughs> you don't have to do that. I think that it would be an excellent idea for you to grow in your heart and in your capacity for relationships so that you get to be in a relationship with that person who is very good at that, who says, I'm, I'll be right here. I'll be right here. I love you and I'm not going anywhere. And what can be very nice since you have CPTSD is if they don't have CPTSD, that would be nice just because people who aren't super reactive and who can stay present, they can give you that feedback. It's like, Hey, you're being unfair to me. Hey, you're being very intense. I don't want to put up with this. And that's how my husband is. He, he does not like it when I go into, you know, dramatics about anything. And I really uh, love him and I knew it right away. And I, it was good feedback for me to have that he was just sort of like, ah, boundary. And I was like, Oh, a boundary. Okay. I'm not going to do that. And it turns out I was very capable of changing that the way that I operated. I think that in younger days, like so many people, it's, you know, you just don't know. Nobody ever taught you. How do you navigate when somebody's having a hard time spending time with you? What do you say? What is acceptable? You know, it's so confusing, right? And that's why it's so important to be part of a community, to have friends who you can bounce things off of and not just crabby, screwed up friends who are like, oh yeah, men suck, you know, Ugh, screw him. You know, you don't want, <laughs> that's not helpful. And you don't want the people who are like, you should put up with anything because he's the man. You don't want that. You want people who are like-minded, who are like, I want to work on having good boundaries. I want to work on being present for my relationship and being fair and standing up for myself without creating a lot of drama. Like you're working on that. Your potential to be in a happy relationship just goes up and up and up. And you can do that. You can do that. You can do that in my programs. You can use my daily practice to deal with the intense abandonment fear that comes up every time a change happens. 
You can take my dating course about choosing good people and you can go to 12 step programs. You can go to therapy. Uh, I don't think everybody knows. I, I think that how to, how to navigate relationships like this, it's not common knowledge. I think in our culture, it's gotten very confused. So I would favor for people with childhood PTSD, when in doubt, kind of go the old fashioned route, be very self-respecting, be very other respecting, go slowly so that you can get to know somebody and find out what your dynamic is before you get attached. Once you have sex with somebody, that attachment thing, it, and it can happen before, but once, especially for women, once you've had sex, your attachment mechanism will start to activate in a big way, whatever's in there. And you're always going to be somebody who lost her mom and whose dad wasn't there. So this, this part of you is going to come out. If you are with somebody who's known you a long time, who really loves you and has demonstrated that to you and told you that, who has demonstrated that they can stay with you even when things are awkward, even when people are unsure, that they can hang in there with that. I just wanted you to put that into your mind that one day you can wake up with somebody and even though you feel triggered and it's hard for you, they're still there for you. And there's no need for anybody to pack their suitcases. You don't have to block anybody. You can talk it through and talking it through sometimes the PhD level of having relationships. It can be very hard. That's what a lot of our PTSD reactions are for is ways that we coped with situations where we never had a chance to talk it through. So dating is your opportunity to learn that communication. Dating somebody who agrees to go slowly with you. Ooh, you, you know, it, you, you don't have like sex to bandaid over everything. You learn to talk it through and grow close and know that that person's there for you. And that's how your abandonment wound can be cared for, can be handled tenderly. And I just want to put this out there. I sometimes do that while relationships can't fix everything, when you find a good one and you've developed it in a healthy pace and it's got true depth to it, it is so healing. The, 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 the bad things that happened when you were a kid can now be helped. And the way that you struggle can now be helped because you have somebody who loves you and who's solid for you. There's a lot of stuff to work out. It's not easy for people who are avoidant or used to slamming the door every time stuff gets hard. It's not easy to talk things out. It's not easy to hang in there. Or sometimes attraction gets threatened, you know, if it's too safe. So you can work this out though. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.